What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game, often playing out subconsciously, both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. Guys, real quick before we begin, just want to ask you a quick favor. If you can, please stop what you're doing and leave a review for the podcast. Whatever platform you're listening in on, if you can give us a five star or whatever the highest rating is, it would be fantastic. And even better, if you found it useful in any way, please write that down on a very brief review if that's possible. It makes such a difference to how the podcast is received out there and pushed out on various platforms. That's all. Nothing else to ask. Now let's get on with the show. All right, guys, this week I am getting into the question of what size deal should you be working on or what size investment should you be thinking about making? Is there an ideal size of investment? Uh, When you're starting out or when you're further along in your career, that's the question I'm going to be diving into this week. Just going to mention quickly, next week is going to be an episode on modular construction residential construction and the reason i'm going to go into that is i overheard conversation on the radio and it was uh, i think it was like one of the uh, one of these debates between the the government spokesperson and the opposition spokesperson and they were talking about modular construction being the answer to everything and in 14 weeks if the government really wanted there could be tens of thousands of properties all over the country now i thought it was very very um what's the word sort of sneaky to kind of put that in because nobody pushed back on it and uh, and there's an awful lot of work that has to be done before you can actually start building modular construction having said that it is definitely something that we should be looking at and uh, i'm going to go into the whole you know the whole thing the background the uh, what's involved and the benefits and the pros and cons of it and stuff like that so that's next week's episode this week we're going to be talking about the size of project and whether or not there is an ideal size of project. Should you go after the small projects, you know, keep your keep your downside minimized, don't go after the big job, you know, the big project that could actually cost you loads of money if it went wrong. Um, should you go after that tiny little job, you know, that tiny little project, just so that you can kind of keep it 100% under your control, that you don't need to bring in partners, all that kind of stuff. On the other side of it, if you're a more confident person, if you know what you're doing, why wouldn't you maximize the amount of the deal, the size of the deal? If it's going to be profitable, well, then won't you, wouldn't you like it to be the biggest profit possible? And so you can amplify your returns. That's the way we're th- looking at this. You know, go for the small one and have little risk. Go for the big one, lots more risk, but also lots more reward. Um, also, the whole control side of it. Do you want to have 100% of a small deal or would you prefer to have a, you know, 50% of a larger deal or 20% of a really big deal? Um, these are little things that we need to talk about today. And so, yes, I guess you could say today's topic is all about does size matter? Let's get into the show. All right, so does size matter? Well, it's really going to boil down to a lot of uh, 
it's going to it's going to depend on your skill set it's going to depend on your mindset it's going to depend on your network it's going to depend on the opportunity itself there's an awful lot of little factors so what i'm going to do here today is break up this discussion into a number of little kind of chapters okay and in fact if you're watching on the youtube you will actually see chapters laid out as we um, as we're talking through this so i'm going to go into small projects i'm going to go into the pros and cons of the small projects i'm going to go into mid-sized projects then i'm going to go into the big you know the big big stuff the big corporate deals the kind of stuff that i'm working on at the moment and then we're going to go into your mindset and your preferences and then another chapter I'm going to go into is going to be your talent, your knowledge, your experience and your network and like who you know and things like that. And then finally, the last chapter is going to be the opportunity itself and how much of it is down to the opportunity itself. And, um, and that's it. Let's get into this. Starting with the small projects. Now, everybody has got to begin somewhere. And so there's absolutely nothing wrong with small, modest sized deals. My first deal, as you know, a couple of weeks ago, I told you about my first deal and it was 25,000. So pretty small deal, um, did very well for uh, that deal. And so a small deal can do very, very well. There's nothing, there's nothing being knocked here on that. Um, many people who are doing uh, big projects like myself, they they started out on these small little deals and you just you graduate you 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 evolve over time your knowledge builds your your confidence builds uh, the sense of kind of overwhelm and you know this the fear of getting it wrong and stuff like that that starts to dissipate the more experience you get and so everybody starts off small the question is when is it right to graduate to the next level now the benefits of a small project. There's quite a few benefits. I mean, first of all, when you're starting out, you have a limited amount of knowledge. Your experience is pretty low if, if you have any experience at all. And so going for a relatively small, straightforward deal is probably a wise and prudent move. Uh, primarily because of what I mentioned already, you do not want to be in a situation where you're overwhelmed and you're simply intimidated by everything you're being faced with like to somebody who has experience this is all really really basic stuff but if you've done if you're doing this for the very very first time everything is new you're dealing with a solicitor maybe you've never had to do that before you're dealing with a bank maybe you've never had to do that before um, there's a lot to learn and so don't bite off more you can than you can chew by jumping into something that involves a huge amount of additional complexity on top of what you already have to you know, learn from, from scratch. Now, for example, I think probably a good way to start would be like a, you know, they, they, they talk about the BRRRR, the B or, or, or strategy. That's where you buy, refurbish or renovate, rent, refinance, and then recycle your money and go again. That's a pretty good strategy. It's simple enough it usually involves, you know, kitchens and stuff like that. The reason I'm suggesting that rather than the the most straightforward, which is just buy to let, is that if you go for the really vanilla projects, if you go for the projects that have almost nothing to do, like literally you buy the place and it can be moved in tomorrow morning. 
unless you're getting it for a really good price for some specific reason, then it's most likely the previous owner is the person who's making the profit. There's no profit left for you. So you move in, you, you buy the property, you put a tenant into it and they start paying you a rent. And that's great, but there's not really any opportunity there to add additional value. And one of the stuff, one of the things that I would look for myself personally as a preference is that there is an opportunity to have some added value that I have myself created as opposed to the market. Okay, this would be what you call forced appreciation. If you're looking at a property that's in sort of tatty state that, you know, is need a bit of a love and a care and attention, maybe a new bathroom, new kitchen or something like that. It's not a complex job. But there is an opportunity there for you to add your bit of flair. Maybe you put in some nice colors, carpets, all that kind of stuff, and you turn it from looking pretty tatty and old to looking quite you know, stylish and new. And somebody walks in and goes, wow, I really, really like this. Either they're going to pay you more than you paid for it, and so you're going to make a nice profit, or you're going to get the thing rented nice and quickly and get it refinanced. And if you get a decent rent on it, should be able to um, get a decent profit or at least a decent uh, refinance from the bank. So that's the first one. Remember, don't go too simple. If you go too simple, there's no room to add value. And that forced appreciation is kind of lost if you go too simple. Now, if you want to pay sort of below market and you're going to have to do a little bit of work. There's nothing wrong with that. As I mentioned before, it can be quite a simple job, but you want to be careful not to go too far and get into something that might require all sorts of additional work, like maybe structural alterations or something. If you're doing your first job, your first project, we'll say, or your first investment, and if you're looking at you know, literally learning how it works with solicitors, learning how it works with mortgages and stuff like that. You don't want to be speaking to a bank manager or a credit committee or any of that kind of thing. You don't want to be going in talking about, you know, taking out structural columns or taking out structural walls or something like that, because you're so inexperienced that literally you could do something wrong and the whole house could kind of like collapse. So be very, very careful not to bite off more than you can you can chew. Know the difference between a structural wall and an internal wall. That's kind of easy. You just have to knock the wall and you can kind of hear the difference between a solid wall and a, uh, and a kind of a partition wall. But that's kind of important for you to figure out. Make sure that you're not overlooking that. One of the downsides of doing small projects is that there's very, very, uh, it's kind of a crowded field. Like you have got so much competition. There's no barrier to entry when it comes to smaller deals. Anybody who has money can basically get it, can afford to get into the market. And so that being the case, I would say one of the negative sides of the lower end of the market is that there's quite a lot of competition. And so you're going to be chasing after deals that perhaps there's a lot of other buyers. Now, in this market at the moment, that might not be the case. But generally speaking, the lower the price, the more uh, punters because there's going to be out there trying to buy it. So in summary, uh, what we're talking about here is get into the deal nice and low, learn, build your confidence, build your knowledge, get to understand the workings of the deal, how it all offers. And at the end of the day, you know, if, if it's offering a good return, then I certainly wouldn't knock it like a small 
project that offers, you know, 15, 20% return, that's a pretty good day's work. Now, you, you can do an awful lot better than that if you're good at snooping out deals. But people that are out there for the first time getting their, you know, wetting their, their teeth or just, you know, getting their sort of feet wet, we'll say, that is, um, that's the way to go about it. The fact is you will have pretty much at a size, at a deal size like that, you're looking at 100% control. So any profit that you make, any value that you add to the property, you're looking at 100% ownership of that uplift, which is a good thing. And so there's, there's a lot to be said for that. Also, you don't have to argue and, you know, kind of debate decisions that you've made. You can just go in and say, right, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I think I'm going to do it. And you go ahead now. Having said that, it's never a bad thing to have somebody to kind of bounce ideas off and just make sure that you're doing something right, like whether or not it's choosing colors for the living room or whatever. If you are a very, very confident person, you can steam into that and then you can perhaps regret you've, uh, you've been a little bit too hasty with your decisions. It is a good idea to go out and sort of seek advice from other people and just kind of hear what do you think if I do this what do you think if I do that it's not a bad idea but this is for people that are obviously at the very beginning of that journey ultimately this is the right of passage for most property investors you're going to start with small deals and then over time as you build your knowledge and as you build your confidence you're going to graduate to the bigger deals so let's get into the next size up we'll call it the mid-size deal once you go above a certain level of capital that might just mean an extra few hundred thousand whatever it is sometimes it's an extra zero so it's a an order of magnitude larger in terms of a deal size but once you go above a certain level sometimes it is much much more complex but other times that can simply be uh, the location of the property and you could be looking at say for example we take the first deal that we looked at the smaller deal that could be a hundred thousand 150,000 and then you step up to the 500 to 750,000 level. You know, that's a 5x bigger deal. So that sounds like a, you know, much, much more intimidating size because you require five times the amount of money. You're going to require five times the size of the mortgage possibly and, uh, and all that. But there's not necessarily five times the complexity. It could be the exact same amount of work as the first deal. It's just that it's in a more expensive area and therefore the values are all increased. And so that is something to kind of bear in mind. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's a big step up in level of complexity of the deal. Now, that's not necessarily the case, though. You've got to be a little bit careful about this because when you have, you know, when you step up from 100 to 500,000, you might find that the people that are buying, they're more discerning buyer or they're a more discerning tenant that is looking to rent. And so you may have to make additional steps in terms of the work that you're doing. In addition to that, you may be now looking at, if you don't have, if you've only got 100,000 and you're stepping up to the 500,000, what you're looking at now is you're definitely going to be going and getting a mortgage for a substantial enough sum. Obviously, you got to get your mind wrapped around that. And do you have that confidence? A lot of people will struggle to kind of get that confidence. Do they, do they really, it's such a step up mentally that you can often feel a little bit kind of overwhelmed and thinking that maybe you're biting off more than you can chew. But the big complexity may come from 
if you have to reach out to external investors and you start starting to work with people that are looking to put money into the deal with you. If you're getting into that, what, what adds complexity may be simply the agreement that you have to enter into with them around the money they're putting into the deal. Perhaps there's shareholders loans, perhaps there's a loan agreement, whatever it might be. Consider that that is an additional bit of complexity that you may not have done. Now, this, the level of skill sets that you, uh, the skill set that you have, this is something that we need to kind of consider because it, you know, buying the property, if it involves just simply redecorating and things like that, you know, you've already learned those skills on the smaller deals. This should be a walk in the park. However, if you get into, at this stage, we're talking about stepping up your renovation work and you're now looking at, I want to extend the house. I want to kind of build a big, uh, we'll say a big kind of kitchen conservatory that extends out the rear. Now you're getting into what we mentioned before, structural changes, alterations. You might have to go and get planning permission for the property. You might have to bring in uh, an architect and you might need to bring in a structural engineer to assist with some of the technical stuff that's involved. Like if you take down uh, a, a, a big structural wall, what is going to be required to actually keep up the rest of the house that's being supported by that? A lot of the time it requires a certain size beam, like a steel beam or a concrete beam that'll go in and support it. But the sizing of that beam is absolutely critical. And who decides on that? Well, a structural engineer can do the calculations and can tell you straight away it's going to need to be X size by X and it's going to, you know, for, for to span that distance. It's not a difficult thing, but if you're never if you've never done this before, you may feel that you're slightly out of your depth. So it is something to kind of bear in mind. Obviously, if it's if it's another B or 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 project, then it's going to be pretty much simple. You know, really the you know maybe the kitchen appliances are a little bit more expensive, the bathrooms are a little bit more expensive, the carpets and the curtains are more expensive, but the actual complexity of the job may be very, very minimal. And so it could just simply be that it's the same as the smaller job, just with bigger numbers attached. As I mentioned, altering the property, doing any kind of structural alterations, that's something you need to be a little bit careful of. And also just think about safety regulations and things like that. If you're trying to do this, you know, on a shoestring budget and you're build, and you bring in kind of like a, uh, a guy doing a mixer as opposed to a proper contractor, that can have potential legal implications if the project was to go wrong. If somebody gets hurt on site, you can be responsible for that. So it's something to just bear in mind. Never, uh, like always be aware that health and safety on a building, on a construction project, health and safety is a, it's a legal obligation on the owner. You can't say, I didn't know that the rules, that I didn't know about this. Ignorance is no defense in, in when it comes to the law. And when health and safety is involved, it becomes a criminal case in the event of somebody getting hurt. So it's not a matter of you'll get a, a small little fine for, for doing your, something wrong. You could actually be looking at jail time for negligence or something like that. So just Bear in mind that health and safety is really, really important when it comes to the ownership of the property. And obviously you wanna make sure you've got insurances in place and you wanna make sure if you have insurance that 
your insurance is also going to cover the work that's being done. So your builder is going to require some sort of general insurance to step over and to do the work and then hand it back to you and your insurance company will then step back in. These are all little things that maybe not obvious to you if you're starting out. And so this is what I mean by learning as you go, gradually understanding the system and how it all works. Now, having mentioned all of that sort of legislation and regulations and all of this kind of stuff that might be kind of overwhelming to be thinking about, like, where do you even start to learn all of this kind of stuff? This is where it's sometimes useful to bring in what I would describe as a strategic partner, okay? You may simply be looking at a project for the first time, and this is all a little bit overwhelming, but in a year or two's time, you'll be doing this day in, day out. It'll be very, very simple. So bringing in a partner that has that kind of experience is what I would describe as a strategic partner. You don't necessarily need the partner for the deal to work, but it's bringing in a level of experience that you don't have. And so it's kind of de-risking the deal to a degree. Now, obviously, who you bring in is important in terms of their, you know, can you trust them? Are they going to be a good partner? Things like that. That's obviously something to be careful of. But bringing in somebody that has skills, has who's done this before, it can make you an awful lot more relaxed that you're making this, that you're not kind of steaming into something that you're completely oblivious to, some sort of a problem. The other way to deal with it is to hire in, you know, professional help. And that could be a project manager, could be an architect, could be somebody that is, you know, doing this day in, day out as a professional. They get paid. Yes, it costs you a little bit of extra money, but consider it a little bit like an insurance policy. You pay that little bit extra money and they're going to keep you out of trouble. And then the next time when it comes around, you'll have been working with them throughout the entire project. So you'll understand why things happened and then you'll have picked up that bit of knowledge yourself. The difference between a one hundred thousand, you know, deal, and a five hundred thousand deal, when it comes to borrowing money from you know the banks or lenders or whatever, a lot of the time it's it's pretty limited at difference. Like these guys, to them, it's just another number. It's like a hundred grand, five hundred grand. It's it's just another mortgage. It's not a big deal. So from from that point of view whether you've, when you're stepping up to that extra level, it might be in your mind, a big, big step up, but in terms of what you need to know, dealing with lenders and things like that, it's, it's pretty limited. And I don't think you need to worry too much about that. It all boils down to the metrics of the deal. Does there, is there gonna be enough income coming in from the property to cover the interest payments? End of story. That's the only thing that the bank care about. That and how much equity is going into the deal. And so if you and your partner or if you were doing it on your own, if you're putting in a seg, you know, a chunk of capital, that's your equity. Then you're they're borrowing the extra bit or they're lending the extra bit to you and that brings you up. That is the only thing that the lenders really care about. And up to, you know, quite a up to a couple of million, that is probably all they really care about. When you get into much much bigger deals, obviously, then it starts to become a little bit more complex. And I'm going to go into that now when we start talking about the big deals, the, the big, big, huge deals that are out there. And, you know, some of the stuff that I've worked on, um, you know, we're, talk, we're talking about a construction project that might be worth 50 million. Like 
that's a big, big project. And you might have to pay 10 or 20 million for the site. Obviously, it's, it's a very, very chunky deal. And so that is, um, you know, there's a lot of complexity with that. You're talking about, you know, tens of millions. And, but the benefit of that is, and there's, there's a number of pros and cons to this kind of thing. First of all, there's, you're going to lose control in that regard, okay? If you are stepping up to that level, the 100% that you owned of the little, small little deal at the start, you might have, you know, 5%, 10%. If you're lucky, you maybe you've got 20%. That is obviously a very, very small little piece, but you can still be the person who's driving the project and who is the principal. But you've got to share the rewards with a greater number of people because a lot most people don't have anything like the amount of money that it requires to go and do a deal like that so you're talking about lenders putting in significant sums of money they're going to require a huge professional team to give them confidence that the project will be worked worked on properly and so um, you know the kind of project teams that we're talking about you might have a million in fees to pay out that's that's the scale of the project that we're talking about. But there's all of those things that we talked about, the health and safety and all that, that is all covered. You have an entire team with every single discipline. I'll give you an example of a deal I worked on when I, when I was living in the Middle East. And this was a, a deal that was worth like $150 million when it was sold eventually. And um, the guy that I was involved with, like his attitude to it was that, all he wanted was just to take the cream off the top. That's how he described it. And so for him, if he got, you know, a couple of percent off, off this huge, big deal, it was a major payday. And what was really interesting was, what I found particularly interesting about this deal was, there's a huge amount of prestige around these big deals. And that is one of the things that kind of attracted me to it, is you're dealing with major, major occupiers, first of all, major banks that, you know, you're talking about people flying in from America to go and visit the property and things like that. So you're dealing with, you're, you're on a new, very, very high level and high performance is expected. And so you obviously need to graduate to that. And that takes quite a number of years, but the economics of the deal can be phenomenal. And what's great about the economics is that there's far less competition up at that level. And so, whereas you're, you know, trying to kind of beat off all of the competitors to kind of get into the small deal that you own 100% of, some of these big deals that you're getting into, you have almost no contest. You're, now, that's not always the case. It depends on the market. But stuff, certainly that particular deal, we managed to enter into a long-term lease with the tenant before we bought the land. And so we had the entire deal underwritten by a long-term lease before we paid for the site itself. That is de-risking the deal completely. And you wouldn't be able to do that at the lower levels, but at that level, with the prestige involved and stuff, it was possible. I'll give you a, a funny little anecdote. That deal, the economics were so good that we were able to afford to fly in a Feng Shui master from Japan to go and, you know, add his little bit of magic to the building so that the building would be deemed Feng Shui. Now, you guys will have heard Feng Shui. It's where you kind of, there's certain things that you should do. And because this bank did business 
with uh, Asia and stuff like that, it was important to them that there was feng shui sort of assigned to it. So this guy flew in from Japan. I think he was paid like fifty or seventy thousand dollars to go in and like you know put a put a penny at the bottom of the foundations and do this and make sure like that he did. <laughs> it's just it makes you laugh when you think about it. But that is what we're when you're up at that level. These are the kind of things that are are happening, and so. It is very, very interesting, and uh, and I certainly I've always enjoyed working on the big stuff. Um, it's not necessarily fun when you have to do everything by committee, and so you don't have that control that you had at the lower levels, um, and so that is what you give up a little bit. And so there's a bit of a pro, you know the pros and cons to it. Now, at that higher level obviously there's a pretty considerable amount of knowledge and skill required you're talking about a lot of moving parts like huge teams contractor teams um, professional teams you're not talking about just an architect you're talking about having facade architects you're talking about having interior design architects there's there's a whole slew of professional um, disciplines that are required when you're up at that level and obviously the fees and stuff go up and so there's there's an obviously it's a matter of figuring all that stuff out and that takes time but as you work on these projects you gradually add knowledge and skills and stuff and over time it can it can it can it can be built up and it's a little bit like you know the sense of um, we're talking about confidence and over you know the sense of overwhelm if somebody is a fear has a kind of pathological fear of heights or would say a um, you know this phobia spider phobia or heights phobia those people can be you know taught to overcome that and it's called i think it's called you know gradual exposure therapy and what they do is they introduce a small height and then a little bit higher and a little bit higher or a small spider and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and they, they can overcome it. It's pretty much the same thing, to step from the small deal, gradually stepping up a little bit bigger every time you do a new deal, and you eventually get to the size of large projects. And it might take, like in my case now, I'm, I have a career that has been going for 30 years this year. And so 30 years obviously is a long time to build up all of that. If one of the things, uh, we're getting into the, um, into the mindset side of this discussion now, and when you're, you know, when you're stepping up to those big deals, a lot of the time it's the deal itself is not that different from the smaller deals. You've got to, you've got to, you know, you have the knowledge. Can you de-risk the deal? Do the economics stack up? Um, and that's pretty much it. it. That's what it boils down to. The rest is really mindset. And, you know, you get to the point where very, very big deals can actually become kind of mundane oh another 10 million deal Pfft, no biggie and that's the kind of way that gradually you can kind of build up your knowledge and your confidence we get into the mindset and the preferences as i said it's important to realize something when you're starting out like the learning curve is super important okay but after the fourth or the fifth deal you're pretty much there like you know the first deal was overwhelming you're learning everything but by the fourth or the fifth deal you should pretty much know what you're doing and so be careful you don't fall into that comfortable place where it's just the same every single time and you're not learning any longer. 
growth only really comes like personal growth and development only comes when you're slightly outside of your comfort zone. And so, you know, it's not a good idea to jump into a massive, massive, you know, kind of overwhelming sense of, oh, my God, I don't know what I'm doing here. But if you gradually push yourself slightly further and further along, what you're going to find is that you get to the point where it is um, your self-limiting beliefs are minimized and you can go and you can do the next big deal. And it's not going to hold you back. Um, if you're if you're always going to sit in that kind of comfortable, you'll never really graduate beyond the small deals. You'll stay at those small deals. And that's something that I would just caution you because as you go up through the bigger deals, this they're pretty much the same thing. Like the difference between a hundred thousand deal and a one million deal is almost no difference at all. Like they're identical. Except the difference would be that with the hundred grand deal. I might be happy with 25,000 profit. With the million deal, I won't be happy unless I have a 250,000 profit. Now, the exact same amount of work for 250 grand sounds good to me. And so that's where you really have to think about it and make sure that you're gradually pushing yourself just that little bit further, not overdoing it, but make sure that you're in that position where you're just learning a little bit more each deal and so it's gradually getting bigger and bigger and you're understanding the risks and how to mitigate those risks so you're not stepping up the risk you're just stepping up the economic size of the deal preferences now it might be that you're kind of a risk intolerant person you you you, you worry a lot or you get a lot of anxiety around borrowings and stuff like that and it might be your preference to have four or five small deals rather than one big one. And I would say that, yes, I can understand that mindset. I can understand why that seems like a good mitigation, a risk mitigation strategy. I mean, four or five deals, if one goes wrong, you've got four others that will go right, hopefully, compared to one that if it goes wrong, you lose everything. And so there's definitely some, uh, you know, there's some wisdom in that. But just remember, four or five deals is four or five times the amount of work that you would have on the one big deal that might produce the exact same reward. So just keep that in mind because one of the big risks out there is execution risk, and that is your ability to complete the deal or to carry out what needs to be done. That is, you, you are the execution risk. Now, if you're into a situation where you're the person and at risk, are you more at risk when you have four or five deals on simultaneously than you are with just one deal to manage? And that's something to bear in mind is that you could find that four or five small deals is a, is a bit of overwhelm in terms of everything's happening all at the same time. You have to be in four or five different locations. You've got four or five different builders at any one time. Just think about that. Getting into the final um, couple of pieces, talent, knowledge, experience and your network. That is something that you build, as I said, it's just you gain confidence, you build and you gradually add to your knowledge base. And um, skills are very, very important. And um, this is one of the reasons why in my in my coaching program that I've got, I don't jump into how to raise money from investors until the very, very end. I go through the skills and I go through you know, the de-risking of the deal. And I go through all of that stuff first because that is the essential stuff that you really need to have 
before you get to the bit where you're going out raising money from investors. But that is also one of the reasons why I've included that final module on raising money, because the economics of the deal, that that work reward ratio, if you're doing a bigger deal, you're going to need an investor involved, but the rewards are much, much greater for probably something similar to the exact same amount of work. The final point is the opportunity itself. And ultimately, this all comes down to the quality of the deal that you're looking at. And there's a couple of small little factors. There's not much to, you know, a deal can have all sorts of different criteria, but it ultimately boils down to do the numbers stack up? Is it a good deal? Is there a good risk reward ratio? If you're putting 100,000 into a deal, and there's a chance you'll make 25 grand, to, you know, to go from 100 to 125. That's reasonably good. What's the downside? Is there the downside that you could lose all of the hundred? If that was the case, then I would say it's a pretty bad deal. But if the if there was no downside, if the worst case scenario is that your hundred because you know stays at 100 or goes to 105 instead of 125, well then you've managed your risks. But that is it. It's, it's down to the economics of the deal. Does it stack? Have you got the requisite skills to pull it off? That is the next thing to ask yourself. Don't jump into something that is outside of your complete skill set. I mean, if we're getting into what we mentioned already, you know, refurbishing a house and you're getting into moving structural walls, that might be a step too far, certainly without bringing in professionals that can actually help you. And if you're going to bring in those professionals, then you definitely want to make sure that somebody is holding your hand and showing you how to do all of that. And then finally, like, can you mitigate the risks that are involved in this particular deal? That is something that is important to bear in mind. There's a lot of different risks. There's investment risk, there's market risk, there's financial risk, there's tenant risk, there's your own execution risk. There's lots of different risk types. And you're going to make sure that you can mitigate them as best as possible. Sometimes it's not possible to completely remove risk, but you can lower or reduce it. And this is where experience is essential. And it's really, really handy. And you either have your own experience that you've built up over the years, or you bring in a partner, or indeed you have a mentor that can kind of, you know, guide you or whatever. On that note, if you guys have any questions on, you know, aspects of this particular discussion. If you have any questions that you'd like to ask, put them in the comments below. I have just launched the Behind the Facade community chat in Facebook. So if you guys, if you're in the Facebook community, then just have a look for the chat there. You can drop questions in there and I'll be able to answer if, uh, if you do have any questions. There have been a few people that have joined the community or they've tried to join recently and they didn't answer any of the questions that I put. I have a few questions about, um, you know, why you're joining and stuff like that. People who don't answer those, I don't let into the group because I, I kind of consider that maybe they're trying to come in just to spam you all. And so do answer the questions if you do want to join the Facebook group. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Facade. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via the Facebook group that is called Behind the Facade Community. 
Alternatively, you will find me on social media. My handle is Gavin J. Gallagher. You can stay up to date with all of my content and the various projects I'm working on over on my website, GavinJGallagher.com. And while you're there, please do add your name to the Join My Tribe thing over on the right-hand side. This will ensure you're kept up to date via my weekly newsletter. All of these links are in the show notes below. That's all for now. I will see you guys in the next episode.